I'm going to start uh, in verse 14. And actually, uh, this <clears throat> segment of Scripture, there was really uh, no way to break it up into... Uh, it all is basically one single unit. And uh, so it, it's a fairly lengthy reading but I would like to read it to you here tonight and then we will uh, start just kind of walking through uh, what Paul had to uh, had, had here at uh, this place called Miletus. But let's start in verse 14, Acts chapter 20 and verse 14. I did fail to mention to you uh, this coming Sunday, uh, we're gonna be starting back our uh, hyphen and youth and teen uh, classes, and so we will start uh, those back uh, this coming Sunday, and uh, I hope we've got everything going uh, back in <clears throat> the right direction, and uh, so and I appreciate Brother Robert. He changed out some light bulbs today over in the old building and um, got those squared away. And um, so we're moving along with that. And uh, I do need a reputable, keyword is reputable, uh, person that knows something about building construction so we can get that roof over there squared away um, so we can get those doors in. And uh, after <clears throat> going through this building program, I wonder if there are any reputable building folks out there, uh, but if you know of one, uh, if you can just let me know and we'll try to make contact with them. Verse 14, the Bible says, and when he met with us at Asos, we took him in and came to Mytilene. And we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios, and the next day we arrived at, arrived at Samos and tarried at Tregolium, and the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And I, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that I, by the space of three years, 
I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he had spake that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto uh, the ship. And so for a title I have put on uh, this lesson, Paul's address uh, to the Ephesian elders. Uh, If you are a student of history at all and you have um, that you enjoy reading history or knowing uh, about history you know that there have been uh, various times throughout history where that there were uh, farewell addresses that were given uh, by people leaders men uh, women various times throughout history that really made an impact Uh, not only on American history, but on world history. If you uh, have ever been to San Antonio, Texas, you know there's a little small mission there that's called the Alamo. And uh, back in the 1800s, General Santa Ana come up out of Mexico with his uh, army and was going to attack the Alamo. And inside of the Alamo, there was a man by the name of William Barrett Travis that was with the 100 and 89 other men, and uh, they met very shortly prior to the attack of Santa Ana, and basically William Travis gave them a charge or a call to duty, and then he drew a line in the sand and asked everyone that was going to fight with him for them to step across that line. And 188 out of the 189 stepped across that line and said that they were going to battle uh, with with uh, William Barrett Travis and those men. Now, they were defeated, uh, but just a few short weeks later, about 200 miles to the east, uh, in a little place called San Jacinto, which is a little, it's about a few miles southeast of Houston, uh, there was a man by the name of Sam Houston. And uh, Sam Houston found out that Santa Ana and his men were taking an afternoon siesta, and so he rallied all of his troops, and the cry that he gave forth was, remember the Alamo, and Houston's army swept down, and they worked over Santa Ana's army and uh, defeated them, and Texas was, pre- was, pre- was preserved. Uh, there was another man in World War II, General Douglas MacArthur. Uh, he gave a similar uh, speech. They were, in fact, the Philippines were really being overrun at the time uh, by the Japanese, and so they were moving out of that uh, to try to preserve our uh, forces and the Allied forces. And and yet, there on the beaches there of uh, the Philippines, he promised those Filipinos that he would return, and he did indeed return and liberated them. Uh, from that, and so our mind goes, and we remember uh, those farewell addresses. And uh, then in the '60s, there was a, and I've watched this several times uh, over the years. That Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, gave a speech in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, during the sanitation workers' uh, strike. And on that night, he didn't know it at the time, but it was the night before his assassination. And uh, he talked about the fact about how that he said, I have looked over into the promised land. He said, I don't know if I'll make it with you or not. He said, but I know that I have looked over into what he saw was the promised land. And that speech sort of motivated 
some of those workers in the civil rights uh, movement back in uh, the 60s. You start thinking about memorable addresses uh, that people have given or charges or challenges uh, that would go down in history as great charges. But if you look back even more, around 400 years ago, not quite 400 years ago, 350 years ago now, in the 1660s, uh, the Church of England began to put a lot of pressure on local congregations and demanded uh, that they start observing uh, the rites and the ceremonies that was in what was called the Book of Common Prayer. And there was a number of those men there. In fact, there were 2,500 pastors uh, that were called nonconformists. And uh, they ultimately were called the Puritans. Uh, prior to that, actually even prior to that, they had uh, gotten that name as the, uh, as the Puritans. Uh, but on that Sunday, August the 17th, 1662, and then August the 24th, 1662, 2,500 pastors were ejected out of their churches there uh, in, in England and uh, because they would not conform uh, to the act of conformity that the Church of England put out uh, during that time and it was endorsed by uh, the king there in, in, in England. Uh, it, it caused, it led to the death of 3,000 people and 60,000 people uh, and their families were displaced because uh, of this movement. And, and there's a book that has a collection of, of what they call the farewell addresses uh, of those pastors. And there's probably 25 or 30 of those sermons that are in that book that those men preached to those churches on that last Sunday uh, before they were ejected out uh, of those churches. Now, when you come to Scripture, we just read a charge here uh, that Paul gave to the Ephesian elders. But he, he's not the only one. You read about Jacob. Jacob gave a charge to his sons in Genesis chapter uh, 49. If you want to look at the Deuter book of Deuteronomy, you can really look at that. And all of that book basically is a... Uh, I guess you could say is a farewell message that uh, Moses is leaving to the children of Israel. Uh, you fast forward a few years and you get to Joshua 24 and Joshua uh, gave that and this was just a small one verse out of it but where he said, as for me and my house, uh, we're gonna serve the Lord. That was a farewell address uh, that, that he was leaving and so when you start looking throughout Scripture, uh, there are times where that men uh, would, leave con they would leave instructions for those uh, that came along. So Luke comes along, and here in Acts chapter 20, uh, he records what Paul said uh, to these men uh, here that were the elders of the church there in uh, in Ephesus, although he, he met them uh, in a town called Miletus, which was about 30 miles uh, outside of Ephesus. Miletus was a, a coastal town, and uh, Paul was doing his best to get to uh, Jerusalem, and so that's why he did not take the trek and go up there to Ephesus during uh, that period of time. But when you start looking at the book uh, of, of uh, Acts, uh, there are evangelistic sermons that are preached to the Gentiles. There's evangelistic sermons that are preached uh, to the Jews. There uh, is Paul or uh, Stephen's defense there in Acts uh, chapter 7 where that uh, he begins to speak up uh, to the Sanhedrin. That took place also in Acts chapter 4. It took place in Acts chapter 5 where that there was legal defenses that were being given. And then when you get to Acts chapter 22 uh, through 26, there are five different times where that uh, Paul comes along and generally is speaking in some form of defense against either a Jewish or a Roman leader. But here is the unique thing that we find out about Acts chapter 20. This is the only uh, sermon charge that was given uh, to what we would consider uh, a Christian audience that was there 
uh, throughout the entirety of the book of Acts. And uh, so, so whenever, whenever Paul gets to that place, th this is a passage that I used uh, several years ago whenever I was uh, conducting some of our general, our district conferences rather, uh, and I was preaching specifically to preachers that I preached uh, from Acts chapter 20 a number of times because it was the charge uh, that Paul was given to church leaders uh, to try to cause them to understand uh, what they were needing to do. And so this passage here has been uh, one that I have looked at a number of times and felt it to be very uh, valuable to me personally just as a, as a preacher. That whenever I start realizing that there's a responsibility that I have. But I would just also say that to you as well, that if you're involved in any kind of, of teaching ministry whatsoever, then, then this, what Paul is having to say is, is for all of us that are involved in that as well. So when you look at, at the verses, uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 14 through 16, it's almost like uh, that Luke is writing, a, a tra he's got a travel diary. And uh, I don't know if you, um, if you know about these or not. If you, if you write with fountain pens or whatever, you know about something called, I think it's called a Midori uh, travel diary or travel log. And, and basically it's, it's a piece of leather that's way overpriced and it's just kind of slapped together and it's just kind of fixed where you can just put these books inside of it. Uh, but the appeal of that is, is that they uh, have tried to say that this is a travel diary or planner uh, that was used back hundreds of years ago. And, and that was the case here with these uh, men uh, that were sailors. And, and these men did not have any of the modern uh, conveniences that we have. They had to operate with a compass. Uh, they had to operate with their eyes and their ears and their senses. And uh, what they knew was that at this particular time of the year where Paul was traveling, what they would do was the wind would start blowing uh, the very early morning hours, 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning, the wind would start to pick up. And so these sailors knew that it was important for them to get their uh, vessels out into the water so that it could uh, get the wind and start moving along with that. The wind would blow uh, until the late afternoon and what they would do is they would find a place to stop over and to travel because once the wind stopped, it basically would stop and if they were not at a, at a place where that they were uh, able to put in for dock for the night, then they were just stuck. And so Paul uh, traveled in this way and you've read about the, the shipwrecks and you've read about uh, the things that he mentions in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where he starts talking about some of the challenges that he went through during uh, his time of, of ministry uh, to advance the gospel through his missionary travels. And so uh, Paul was, was doing his best to travel with as much speed as he possibly could. And so he bounces around. There are four places that we find, coastal cities that they record that he stops at. But when he gets to Miletus, he comes along, and the Bible says, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Now when Paul gets there uh, and he calls for the elders about 30 miles away, uh, really would not have been that much of a challenge for them because we read in last week's lesson, we talked about the fact about how that Paul walked 20 miles uh, to get from one place, point A to point B, and there was a time where he was alone in him by himself in that part. But, but there are some two specific words uh, that Paul uses here. He uses one of those words in verse 17 where he uses the word elders. Those are elders of the church. And then look down to verse 28. He says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. 
And so there is the second word that he uses. And then simply by, by him using uh, the word there where he compares them to a flock, uh, we understand that there was that matter that Paul was speaking of them being a shepherd. And the word there is used uh, in a way that just helps us to understand uh, that Paul was, was working uh, in a way to say we're gonna use the word elders, overseers, and shepherds to help them to understand. Now, when Paul uses these words, it tells us that there is a crucial designation for all churches, whether they are first century churches or whether they are second century or whether they are 21st century churches. That there are some instructions that Paul is going uh, to come across, especially in having spiritual men in positions of, of leadership. And they don't come to that spot by uh, default. They should not come to that place by their political connections or uh, by their charisma. They were men that were needed to fill that slot because of the spiritual qualifications that they had in their life. I, I think it's important uh, for us to realize that spiritual leaders need to fulfill the obligations of what the Word says that we ought to fulfill. Turn over with me for a moment to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and let's look at what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. These are designations of spiritual leaders. He says, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And then Paul goes on and begins to describe the leadership qualities of uh, deacons. I want you to turn over a few pages and I want you to look with me uh, to 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And here is what Paul or Peter writes. Peter is going to give us some examples or some areas where uh, that there are spiritual leadership qualities to have. Uh, he says it like this, verse chapter five, verse one, the elders which are among you I exhort whom am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint or pressure, but willingly, and not for filthy lucre or money, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And then he goes on and continues uh, about how the younger are to submit themselves to the elders. And so Paul speaks about that matter of the, the leaders in a church having spiritual qualities that needs to be present in their lives. Now, again, I, I want to just uh, reinforce this point uh, to you that there are things uh, that we see in the Word of God that I know that we are apostolic. We believe in a work of the Spirit. But there are qualities that you will gain in your life that they will not come to you immediately. Uh, they're not gonna come to you because somebody laid hands on you. They're not gonna necessarily come to you because you were involved in a red hot prayer meeting. Some of these qualities come to us because we are willing 
to, as Romans 6 says, is to mortify our flesh and then allow our members to become servants of righteousness. That, that's why that I believe that throughout Scripture there are things that we ought to key in on and you ought to underline them and circle them and write out in the margins of your Bible. Lord, I want these qualities in my life. Now, here's how the Lord is gonna let you get those qualities. He's gonna let you walk through challenging situations so that you can add these qualities to your life. And, and, and again, it, it goes without saying that there are some of these quali qualities that only come to you because of the rigorous discipline and the routines that you have in your life. And if you want to know who somebody is, if you want to know their identity, spend about 30 minutes with them and get them talking. And if you get them talking to you, it does not take very long uh, for you to figure out who that person is and what that person is about. Because Jesus said it like this, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you are around somebody and they begin to talk, what are you doing? You're getting insight into their heart. And, and yet we live in a day, I believe we're moving toward our, the end of our dispensational age and there is a spirit of the age, and what is that spirit of this age? Second Corinthians chapter four and verse four. The God of this world hath blinded their minds. And then in Ephesians chapter two, uh, Paul mentions to the church there at Ephesus, there are other uh, spirits of the age that, that moves. Look there, Ephesians chapter two and verse two, where in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So there is a spirit of the age that moves against this whole concept and idea of there being elders and overseers and shepherds in a church. And it is important that we be very careful to understand that there, our flesh hates authority. Now I realize that there are some kinds of authority that has been abused and there is authority that has been used with a heavy-handed matter and yet whenever we look at God's plan, there is a matter of spiritual leadership that he desires to have inside of his church. And one of the reasons that our society has literally become so chaotic and we are living out a Romans 1 condition right now where it's almost like that God has turned them over to a reprobate mind that they do not think of the things that God desires to have in their lives. And so what happens is, is people push against that matter uh, of authority. They push against the matter of government. What does scripture say that government is for? It is to punish those that do evil and to reward those that do good. You find that in the book of Romans and then Peter also mentions it in his epistles that that is the sole purpose of governmental control or authority that's in our society. And then you break it down even more. There is the authority that's in the home. And uh, that authority, first of all, is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then that man, husband, father, he fits into the role that he is submitted to the Lord. And then uh, the wife is to be submitted to the husband. And then the children are to be submitted to the parents. And then when you branch it out, then you move into areas of the church that the Lord determines that there are pastors and teachers and apostles uh, and prophets, the fivefold ministry in Ephesians 4, uh, of the matter that there is a plan that God has set up for authority and structure that is inside uh, of that church. And yet because our society has rejected biblical doctrine, and uh, has really moved away from biblical instruction whenever you start talking about these kinds of things, either to sinners or talking to people that are carnal and fleshly uh, in their relationship with God, there's a pushback. 
that they begin to push against that. And uh, I, I can remember, um, in fact, this came to mind. We requested prayer for Brother McCarty. Uh, I remember Sister McCarty a number of years ago. If y'all know Sister McCarty, uh, Sister McCarty teaches out at, at Wallace, and uh, she did teach it at Florida State. And Sister McCarty's got a PhD, and uh, she teaches, I believe, her. Her PhD is in physics or one of the higher sciences. And uh, somebody at FSU asked her, are you submitted to your husband? Well, you know, Brother McCarty at the time was a high school, was a high school teacher. And these people at Florida State were wanting to get a rise out of Sister McCarty. And they asked her, are you submitted to your husband? And she said, yes, yes, I am. And they all thought that was the biggest, the funniest thing in the world that a lady that had a PhD was willing to submit herself to her husband. And yet because she understood and I understand and I hope you understand that the role of authority that is in a family that there's a reason that the Lord has placed that because what it does is it helps the structure uh, of the home. And, and I would also say uh, that the majority of political and social voices uh, today, they are crying out for tolerance. And yet whenever a Christian gets up and begins to say, this is what the scripture has to say, then they immediately push back and say that you are being intolerant. You can't have it both ways. If you want tolerance for me to see your point of view, then certainly whenever I start speaking from the parameters of Scripture, then you can't shout me down or mock me or scorn me because of this part that we say this is the Word of God. Now, again, why is it uh, that we're seeing this part in our society? Because if you believe uh, that, that this Word, this Scripture... Uh, is God-breathed, which is what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Why do they hate what the Bible has to say is because this is God breed. This is the Word of God. That's why you're you're seeing such a pushback that's coming against uh, our society. And so when Paul calls for the elders there in verse uh, seventeen, a word that he uses there is presbyterios. Uh, that has the meaning of an elder leader, of a Christian leader of an older man, of a forefather, or a Christian elder. Now here's where it's going to get turbulent, so hang on. Um, I would just say this. We call ourselves apostolic. And whenever we say that we're apostolic, immediately what comes into mind is this. We think about the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. We think about the manner of holiness we think about our doctrine, repent, water baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus and then the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We say that those things are what make us apostolic. But I would say that not only do those things make us apostolic, but there is a wider diversity of scriptural things that makes us just as apostolic. And I want to just say this. We cannot pick and choose what the Word of God has to say. We have to take it in its proper context and we have to take it in its proper setting and say we're going to follow through in these things even if it means it makes us uncomfortable. So I'm fixing to make us very uncomfortable here because this word, elders, presbyterios, appears 67 times in the Bible and only one time does it make reference as an older woman. And that's in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 2. So let's turn over 
And let's look and see what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 2, Paul comes along. He says, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. So he begins to speak to that. And, and he goes on, he even writes in uh, to Titus about what those matters are uh, that he is uh, for, for older women uh, to adhere to. So here is what I want to say to you here tonight, that whenever we look at what scripture has to say, we have to take it as it comes out. I know in everybody's mind, people come out and say, well, what about this woman that I know was a preacher and this woman that was a pastor and this woman was et cetera and so forth. Here's what we have to do. You have to get your subjective emotions out of the way and say that if this comes to a point as revelation, then scripture is ultimately the guiding force. Because I would also tell you this, most of the time, people who lobby for women to be in elder positions, their mama or their grandmama or their aunt was a preacher. And yet whenever Paul is talking about apostolic authority and the way that it's laid out in scripture, he is calling, calling for those elders that they are men. Now, why is that important? And I would just say this. You can look at the political scene in the United States right now and you see the strong voices of, I'm just going to say it, loud, boisterous women that are in various political positions. You're seeing the spirit of feminism coming in and what is it doing? It's trying to unravel the foundations of our nation. Now, we can say, oh, that's your, your way off or your, you know, I just want to tell you now that if you erode the plan that God has for his church, it is going to create challenges for a local church or even for an organization. And I, won't, I am licensed by the United Pentecostal Church. However, this church is independent. It is a local congregation and it is autonomous. That means that by virtue of Brother Patterson and myself and our elders that are here in this church, that we're gonna continue to preach and adhere to apostolic doctrine. It doesn't matter which direction that they go or which direction they don't go. We are going to continue to stay on the same course that we've been on for 53 years and I'm gonna keep doing everything I'm doing uh, to serve my time and try to influence uh, young men and young leaders in our church, that's not to say that women do not have a role in a local church. I just don't believe that a woman should be a pat. Well, I shouldn't say I don't believe. Scripture indicates to us that women should not be in the role of a pastor. And I would say that if they are preaching, that it should be in a very limited sense because Paul says that a woman should not have authority over a man. Now, here's where I want to tighten up on you men. Your wife should not be the spiritual leader in your home. Your wife, if you are forcing your wife into being the spiritual leader in your home, you are failing miserably. Number one is a husband, and if you have children, number two is a father. There needs to be men that are not, and because our society is doing everything it can to try to tear down the role of what a man is according to what scriptural standards set forth. And so we spent a lot of time last, I say a lot of time, we spent some time 
because we're trying to make our manual now somewhat gender, uh, we're not making it non-gender specific, but where we see a he, we're adding a she in there everywhere, and there was a lot of part, I'll just tell you last Wednesday, I voted against that resolution because I believe that leader, spiritual leadership at its root has to come from a man. And I, I know I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm in the minority, but it's moving along. And you start looking again at our political scene with the leaders that are vocal and that are trying to move in a direction and that even right now when our nation is facing uh, an election, it is important that you pay attention to what's going on naturally because you can see a picture of what's taking place in a supernatural world. Now the second word that Paul uses is in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. He comes along and he uses the word episkopos, uh, which can be interchanged with bishop, uh, or pastor. Now this word is only used five times uh, in the New Testament and every time it is used, it is used in the context of male leadership. Now, there is a trend that wants to try to smooth out some of what we would call the hard sayings in Scripture. But I would just say this, that when we look at Scripture, and we say that scripture is inerrant, it is the inspired word of God, then we need to not cause scripture to adapt to us, but we need to say, I'm going to adapt to what scripture has to say. You see, see what I'm, I'm, I don't wanna take scripture and squeeze it in to fit what I want it to say. But instead, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna look at what scripture says and therefore that's the way and the direction that I uh, am going to walk. And, and again, the wisdom of God has to prevail in our day with gender issues. Uh, our, our world is so confused about males and females, I say some, some of it is, is confused about that. And, and yet we have to realize that what is the calling that Paul is looking for for these Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he is speaking to male leadership in that uh, particular setting there. And, and, and again, now, there, there again is some confusion and I wanna to speak to this part. Uh, there's some confusion about the purpose and the plan of what pastoral ministry ought to look like in our day. I believe that pastoral ministry, uh, number one, is rooted in the matter of, we read it a while ago in 1 Timothy 3, that he is apt to teach and that he has good character. And then I believe that the rest of that falls into the category of 2 Timothy chapter 4, whenever he starts speaking about preaching the word. I believe that whenever we read Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, where it says, we will give ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word, those are the things that a pastor needs to adhere to and those men that teach in a church, they need to give themselves to study and to prayer. Now some people feel like that a pastor ought to be a social worker, a counselor, a psychotherapist, an administrator, uh, and yet I want to reemphasize over and over again that whenever Paul is speaking to these elders, and we'll break it open even more uh, our next time out, which will be in November, uh, but we'll, we'll lay it out even more that when we look at the role of a pastor, uh, it's in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, take heed to yourself, feed the church of God, Verse 31, watch. A pastor is to heed, feed, and to watch. He's to give himself to prayer. He's to give himself to preaching the gospel, being faithful, encouraging the church, confronting sin, preparing Bible studies, sermons, counseling to those that need it, and following a long line of spiritual leaders through the ages 
is more necessary than anything else in our changing times. Because I can tell you this, the devil would love to get any church, this church, any other apostolic church would do its best, the enemy would do its best to try to get that man off kilter from what God has called him to do. And, and I will say there are times where I confess to you I feel somewhat of a, a pressure and it's, it's, it's in my head and nobody has ever put that kind of pressure on me or at least I don't feel like it but it's subtly it's there that, that if somebody's working here at the church I feel the pressure, the need to try to get up and go help them do whatever they need to do but I have to realize I cannot do that at the expense of giving myself to the word of God. And it's not that I'm lazy or it's not that I think I'm better than everybody else and that I can't do that, those kinds of things. Trust me, we, we, we're all in this together and I put a lot of pressure on myself not to preach you reruns. And I know that some of y'all think that I just cough up sermons and they just come out. But I'll tell you what, I've never had a baby. But there's been a time or two I thought that trying to get a sermon was about like trying to have a baby. And it's just hard work. And yet that's what our calling is to do, is to dig into the word of God and to have fresh revelation that comes to you because what happens, and I've watched it here so many times that I have preached things and I have, have seen people come in and burdened down and, and challenged. And the next thing you know, you get up and start preaching the word. And it has nothing to do with me whatsoever. That's why a preacher that thinks that he's the greatest preacher in the world, he, he needs counseling. Okay, because all he is is a pipe. He's just a pipe that the word of God is coming through to be able to serve those people in that congregation. And, and again, I, I, a few, two Sunday nights ago, whenever I was preaching about uh, the return of the Lord coming back, I, I, again, when I'm preaching about the Lord coming back, I watched it. I watched you while I was preaching it. It was almost like I was a spiritual motivational speaker because whenever I started talking about what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, comfort one another with these words. Don't be afraid of the rapture. Don't be afraid that the Lord is going to return and come back. There ought to be that part that we're comforted in knowing that the Lord is going to return. And when you start working with the word, you see what it does to a church. And so pastors are to give themselves to that. Now, let's look at the next part, uh, and that picks up in verse 18, and this outline is kind of disjointed, and the reason that it is is because whenever we look at what Paul's challenge is to the Ephesian elders, he comes at it from three different angles. He's looking from the past, and then he speaks to the present, and then he speaks to the future. Now, I won't get through with all of the past uh, here in the next 10 minutes, so we'll just work uh, as hard as we can until 8.30. Uh, but here's what Paul says. He's looking to the past. Look in verse 18. It says, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know from the first day that I came into Asia after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations which befell me by lying in wait of the Jews and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And then skip down in verse 31. It says the rest of that verse, by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, I want to point out 
something to you. I may have pointed this out to you before, but look in verse 19. You ought to underline this uh, in your Bible. Uh, you can say these things make a minister and they make a saint. You ought to underline where Paul uh, says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, underline with many tears and temptations. Those are the things that is gonna make you a saint of God. Those are the things that are gonna make you a minister. There will be tears and temptations that will befall you. And those things uniquely work in your uh, behalf. Now, notice what Paul does here uh, in these verses. He, He uses an expression. He says, ye know. He says that in the last part of of verse 18. He says that in verse 20, and he says that in verse 34. That is similar to what Paul did in 1 Thessalonians 2. Turn over with me to 1 Thessalonians 2, and I want to point out to you what he does uh, there. Look with me uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and look there in verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know, Then look in verse two. It says, as ye know, at Philippi we were bold and so on. Look down to verse five. He says, for neither at any time use we flattering words as ye know. Look down to verse nine. He says here again, uh, for ye remember, or as you know, look at verse 10. He said, you are witnesses, as you know. Look to verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Now, what's Paul doing here? Paul is looking at these people, at these Ephesian elders, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not making something up to you. I'm telling you, that you are aware that this is the kind of ministry that I gave myself to while I was there. And, and Paul, uh, in, 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 in the book of Thessalonians, First and Second Thessalonians, if you remember back earlier in the book of Acts, the, the church at Thessalonica, that was a place where he escaped out of town basically under the cover of darkness. They had to smuggle him out and sneak him out because there were people there that hated him. And they had viciously criticized him and smeared his reputation. And, and, uh, and now he's been gone from Ephesus uh, for, for right at a year, and there are people in Ephesus that have done the same thing to the apostle that the church at Thessalonica, and I say church, the people that were surrounding the church in uh, Thessalonica, and, and he drives it home. He says, you know at all seasons, serving all humility, I kept back nothing. There were tears and there were temptations, and what he's doing is he's speaking to these elders. He's speaking to the cream of the crop. He's speaking to men there at that church in Ephesus that he had connected with. Now, our church here, and as it grows, it becomes even more. And you can't, there's always gonna be a church within a church. And, and you look at that, how many people saw the Lord resurrected? There were 500. How many of them made it to uh, the upper room, 120. So you see the number keeps shrinking. You go from 500, then you go to 120, and then if you want to branch it down and pull from various other places, you can look, remember, that they were sent out two by two, pair of 35, 70 elders went out. And then it shrunk down to 12, and then out of that 12, there were, there were three that were there. I'm going to conclude with a story that Brother Terry Shock told a few years ago at Because of the Times, and I don't remember I've, my sons periodically bring this, bring this up. 
for Brother Shock on that Sunday afternoon. Every Sunday afternoon after church, his dad, Jack, uh, was a lay minister there at the church. Brother Lumpkin pastored in um, Fort Smith, Arkansas. And so Brother Shock would make Terry go to church with him and they would mop the floor and vacuum and clean up the church. And Brother Terry Shock said that one Sunday afternoon, he said he could hear all the guys out, out playing ball and he was, at, he was upset with his dad that his dad had made him stay in and, um, and work there and cleaning up the church. And uh, he said he was mopping and he said he took the mop bucket. His dad was in another spot of the church. And um, he said he took that mop bucket after he poured the water out and took that mop bucket and slammed it into the closet where the mops and the buckets and brooms and all that stuff were. And he knocked a hole in the sheetrock. And so he went and got his dad and told his dad what he'd done. And um, his dad, you know, I mean, his dad could have really chewed on his case about it, but he felt like this is a moment to teach. And so he said that, um, he told Terry, he said, Terry, he said, listen, he said, I know that you hear all those guys out there working or out there playing. He said, but, but let me just tell you something about a church. He said, it doesn't matter if it's a small church or if it's a medium-sized church or if it's a large church. He said, in every one of those churches, he said, there is a small core. He said, they are the ones that make that church go. And he said, Terry, I just want to tell you now, whether you go from a small church to a medium church or a large church, he said, you make sure that you're always in the core of that group that makes that church go. He said, you be involved as, as a prayer warrior. He said, you be involved as a witness. You be involved in giving. You be involved in that church because he said, if you are in that small handful that makes that church go, he said, I'm telling you, he said, the Lord is gonna provide great blessing to your life. Now, I'll tell you, he, Brother Terry Shock has lived long enough. Of course, they went and told Brother Lumpkin what he had done and and, uh, of course, they got the sheetrock patched up, but he said that was a very powerful story in his life. But, but here's the part now. Brother Shock, when he was telling that, he's lived long enough, I've lived long enough, and I could point out some of y'all here tonight, y'all have lived long enough, that you can say that that is indeed a true thing. Yes. That you make sure it don't matter what's going on in the church, Sometimes you have to turn a blind eye to some of the things that's taking place. You make sure you're in that core and you're in that place where that the Lord can use you to help that church to go forward. And uh, again, we'll finish up Paul's challenge uh, to the Ephesian elders. I'll, Brother Patterson's gonna be teaching in the month of October. Uh, but I'll finish that up in the month of uh, November. But let's stand here tonight. I, I pray that some of the things that I've said, I know I've kind of gone through some, I don't know about bumpy water for us, uh, but some of the things that i said about the qualifications for ministry right now, uh, our world is doing its best to tear down the authority structures that the Lord has set up and it's important for us to say we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna adhere, adhere to Scripture, and we're gonna conform ourselves to what the Word of the Lord has uh, to say. But but despite that, I would also say I, I pray that tonight that the Lord has has spoke to you and inspired you, and there's something in your heart that's been quickened. Do you say you know what the Lord wants to work and and use my life and to help me here in this local church? Let's pray about that here as we dismiss. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your goodness. And I know, Lord, that whenever we look, God, at, at, at your word, that your word speaks clearly. This is not a small business. Lord, this is not a, a political organization. It's not, Lord, a, a humanitarian organization, nor is it a hospital. God, this is the church. 
And I know, Lord, that you set up boundaries and parameters. And I pray, Lord, tonight that all of us, Lord, would aspire to those things, God, that you called us to. Help us, Lord, to look, God, to Paul's instructions and to know, Lord, that, that these words were given to us, Lord, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. I pray, Lord, tonight, God, as we go, that, Lord, that you would put a hand of protection about us. God, I ask you, Lord, to meet needs in our families, meet every physical and financial and spiritual need, Lord, that this church has, and keep us, Lord, until we come again, Lord, to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.